for those of you that are like me, um, I didn't grow up in the church, right? And you might not know some of the holidays that Christians celebrate. So I'm going to kind of fill you in on some of those things. Today is International Waffle Day. <laughs> All right? So if you have a waffle maker at home, go, on, go home afterwards and make yourself a waffle. All right? Because it is International Waffle Day. It's amazing. It's not a Christian holiday, right? But it is a holiday nonetheless. Um, but for real, though, we, we, we are, today's Palm Sunday. And as Wes explained, um, we... We get to celebrate this day because this is when God and Jesus as king gets ushered into our own lives, right? Um, and Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a, on a young donkey. If you can picture that, it's ridiculous sounding. Um, and they rode into Jerusalem, which is a holy city. It's also the day that God's people, at the time, the nation of Israel, that's God's people, they cheered for Jesus as he rode on this young donkey, right? They were being occupied by the Romans, and they wanted political and national freedom. We kind of enjoy some of that freedom very readily here in America. We're really blessed, honestly. Um, I never lived in any other country, per se. Um, maybe you have. And from what I've seen in my travels, even though I haven't lived there, it, it really is not as great sometimes. By the time Friday rolls around, and we're going to celebrate Good Friday, um, this Friday, within the span of five days, the shouts and cheers from the crowd goes from Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, to crucify him. That's a pretty drastic change in less than a week, right? And we're going to be talking about some of those things that, that happened during that week. Um, and we're going to talk about that a little later. For those of you who are joining us, this is part five of the sermon series. Who? A journey in knowing God and ourselves. We're trying to answer two main questions. Who is God according to Jesus? And who am I or who are we according to Jesus? We are specifically looking at the gospel according to John, the book of John. And John was one of the 12 original disciples who were called specifically by Jesus to follow him. Last week, Pastor Johnny talked about how we are the branches, and Jesus is the true vine. He talked about how to remain in his love as well, to bring about, um, to bear fruit. And Johnny reminded us that God, the Father, lifts us up when we aren't strong enough. And he shared this picture. I didn't have permission to share this picture. I apologize. Um, I didn't ask for permission, so I'm going to ask for forgiveness. Sorry, Abner. Um, but this is Ramona. And it's one of the vines that was originally planted uh, at our San Gabriel mission. And Johnny gave this picture of, of, a, of the true vine, how all the other vines um, in Napa Valley are a result of this original vine. And that's a great picture. Um, and I'm going to ask you, when was the last time you were lifted up when you needed it? We all have those moments, right? As a child, we would scrape our knees running around, and we would cry out, we would need some help. As a youth, we would deal with, or are dealing with, things such as romantic relationships kind of springing up, right? As parents, we're probably thinking, no, you shouldn't be dating right now, but it's going to happen. Craziness of school, there's friends that we get to choose and hang out with. Those times are hard and difficult. 
And we need help in those moments, right? Some of you, not, you don't remember your youth, that's fine. As young adults, romantic relationships are still hard. College is pretty ridiculous still. Um, we have to choose the classes that we're gonna take and put ourselves through that torture of getting a degree so that we can get a job and get to this picture of a family. <laughs> now for those of you in marriages, um, that, I hear marriage is really, really hard. I don't have experience with that myself, but I see it. You throw in some full-time jobs with full-time families and it gets, it gets pretty difficult with life, right? Um, I don't know of one family that is successful that has done it alone. For those of you kind of past that hurdle, maybe you have an empty nest now, and maybe you have grandkids, the area of support turns from kind of an emotional support to a physical report, uh, support. We need people to kind of drive us to the hospital to and from. Bones start aching. That might happen before you hit old age, right? My bones are hurting right now. <laughs> And, and that's from sports and things like that, but we need support, right? And Johnny gave us this great picture of support of how God, the Father, the vine dresser, the gardener, lifts us up when we need it. But what if I tell you that we as branches also can support one another? We're going to go back to the entrance of Jesus in Jerusalem, and we're going to read from John chapter 12. This is where the triumphal entry is taking place. If you have your Bibles, or if you have a phone, or if you want to download our app, we have a Trinity app as well, and there's the Bible app within that app as well. It's an inception of apps, and we get to read from John chapter 12. For those of you who are not tech savvy or don't know your scriptures, that's fine. We're going to read it from the board here. John 12 says, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey, it's kind of weird, and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. I'm not a great visual type of, uh, I don't have a great imagination, so I just find pictures online. This is the picture that I found. Palm branches laying down cloths, and Jesus on a young donkey, led by, I'm assuming that's either Peter or John, um, with palm fronds kind of being waved around. Now, the palm branches also kind of represented uh, victory to the Romans. Whenever a general would come back into town, they would lay kind of um, palm branches down as well. They would have it on their gold coins as an insignia um, to represent victory for the Romans. And as a, a people of God, nation of Israel, whom we're being occupied by the Romans, it seems like a really big slap in the face um, to the, the oppressing powers to use palm fronds in that way, right? It's as if we would take... Oh, I don't know, a, Brit a British flag or something, and just kind of wave around and stomp on it when we were kind of developing the colonies. Um, I don't think we did that, but it'd be kind of cool if we did. <laughs> the crowds looked for a Messiah who would, who would rescue them politically and free them nationally. Um, but Jesus has come to, to save them spiritually. Right? And we, kind of, we can kind of spiritual over-spiritualize some things sometimes, um, but I want to dive into a little bit of word studies and such. Um, some of you may be thinking that I'm actually going to be preaching about the cross 
um, because it's kind of leading to that, that direction, right? Um, but I'm going to leave that for next week because that's Eastern. That's where it should be preached. Um, but I want to introduce you to Jerusalem. It's a cityscape. It looks kind of cool. It's very minimalistic. Watercolors. I love colors. The Hebrew word. Well, actually, I love, I love word studies. Oftentimes, it kind of brings, brings clarity or revelation, right? Um, so for those of you that love word studies, I'm there with you. Um, just kind of bear with me a little bit as we kind of dive into the, the words of the text. Here is the Hebrew word for Jerusalem. It's Yerushalayim. The definition is foundation of peace. It is the capital city of all Israel. That There is some dispute with that, depending on which political party you're in, but that's neither here nor there. This is Jerusalem in Hebrew. I don't know about you, but I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I had to look up these words online. Um, but this word reminds me a little bit of another word that we know, and it's a word for God, and it ends the same way as this word here, Yushalayim. The word is Elohim. The definition is God. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all wild animals, that includes donkeys, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God said. The interesting thing here is that God, Elohim, in Hebrew, is plural. Almost exclusively when it's referring to God the Father, Jesus the Son, and Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, it is referred to as a plural noun. And the really interesting distinction here is the word said, the verb. The verb is actually singular. Isn't that kind of weird? So we, it's like saying they is. just doesn't really make any sense. This is the Hebrew word for said. It's amar. It's a singular verb. So for reading this, we're thinking that maybe the authors of scripture has been kind of drinking a little bit too much wine, and um, they copied it incorrectly. But with so many copies of scripture being translated over and over and over again, it seems that that's not the case here. Can it mean that our God is a Trinitarian God? Could be. I'm going to leave that up to you. We don't have time to dive into that today. But Elohim, the im part, I am part, is plural, and it's also masculine. I don't know why I put masculine in there. It doesn't really make any sense for the rest of this sermon, but it's plural and it's masculine. There it is for you. In the same way that Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, is also plural and masculine. Could it be that when Jesus was riding into the physical space of Jerusalem, that he was also ushering in a in the kingdom, in the spiritual realm. Can we view Jerusalem in this way here? The plurality of Yerushalayim. Jesus was spiritually preparing the way for us to enter into Jerusalem in heaven. And that's what we all clapped for when Wes was talking about that this morning, like 20 minutes ago, 10 minutes ago maybe. But it took all of five days for the chairs to turn from blessed is the king of Israel to crucify him. Obviously, the nation of Israel, God's people, did not like what Jesus had to offer during that time. They were looking for 
political and national salvation when what they got is something totally different. They might not have wanted it, but they needed it. So does this mean that the Israelites united for the wrong reasons? Does that mean that when we talk about things like um, gun control and gay rights and things like that, does that mean that we are not united for the right reasons? I'm going to say no to that. It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer. Um, and that it is good to fight for, for freedoms. It is good to fight for our own freedoms. It is good to fight for other freedoms as well of others. It is what Jesus has called us to do. He does it all the time. He goes out of his way to talk to the women at the well. He bridges cultures. He bridges generations. He says, let all the kids come to me. Jesus came for a better reason. The way Jesus sees it, mankind's primary need is spiritual. It is not political, it is not cultural, it is not national salvation, it is spiritual salvation. So we're going to take a look at that in John chapter 17. This is what it says. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. That first line is very important because it says that we can actually pray with our eyes open. Um, we have the freedom to do that. You don't have to bow your head. Jesus did it himself. He looked towards heaven and prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Did you pick that up? Here, let me highlight it for you. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So as Christians, when people ask you, what is eternal life? It's right there. That they know God, the true God, and Jesus Christ, whom God the Father has sent. Jesus has an eternal perspective, and as Christians, we should as well. And if you're not a Christian, that's okay. You just sit there. You're going to listen. <laughs> Now, Jesus is praying to God the Father, and this isn't the blueprint prayer that the Jesus, that his disciples were asking for, right? The, the blueprint prayer, the Lord's Prayer goes, um, goes something along the lines of, um, O Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, so on and so forth. And that's the Lord's Prayer, right? But this is not a blueprint prayer. This is actually Jesus' prayer as he's walking from um, the Last Supper to the garden at Gethsemane. It's not too far, but here it is. And Jesus is praying as the disciples are listening. The middle part of John chapter 17, Jesus prays for his 11 disciples specifically. And at this point, Judas has already gone to betray Jesus. He's gone and get, to get the authorities. So there's 11 there with him. There's 12 total or more. They don't really record women in, in the Bible too much. That's unfortunate. But there's at least 12 people there. Jesus here is praying for our eternity. He rides in on a ridiculous donkey to fulfill scriptures in, um, in Zechariah 9.9 and also in Psalm 118. He fulfills these scriptures so that no people can say 
that he is not the Messiah, that he's not the one true chosen one, that he is not the Christ, right? So, Jesus has the long game in mind. We're going to continue on with Jesus' prayer. And this affects all of us. This is what it says. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This eternity that Jesus is talking about is not just for you. We in the Western civilization, the Western part of society, think everything is about us. It's not just a millennial thing, right? We're pretty selfish, and it's not because of our own sins. It's just because that's the way that we were brought up culturally. That's not our fault. We are living in it. But we need to get past that cultural barrier, right? Jesus believes in something far greater than our own prejudices and our own presuppositions. He's looking for something better. And because we want to also witness to others, this is how we're going to do it. To be one. This is one of those prayers of Jesus that does, is not answered to this day. Can you believe it? Isn't that crazy? That Jesus' prayer is still unanswered today. We are not one. There's still different denominations in the world. We are not one. There's a lot of political divide in America, especially. We are not one. We talk about issues like abortion and gay marriage, gay rights. We talk about gun control even. We may be divided. We are not one. These are pictures of disunity within the global church. And this prayer, to this day, is still unanswered. All we need to do to get eternal life is to be one with God, one with each other, so that the world can see that we love each other, so that they too may also have eternal life. It's that simple, but it's also very complex. What God wants for his people is unity. That's what, we, that's what we saw in John chapter 17. And Jesus' entry into Jerusalem in John chapter 12 is a symbol of that unity. Well, how far Jesus would actually go on our behalf. He would ride into both Jerusalems in order that we may have eternal life. And it's not just about you. It's so other people can also have eternal life through you. The unity for which Christ prays is essentially a unity which rests upon the believers abiding in him just as the branch abides in the vine. This prayer makes us uncomfortable as modern Christians because we just know we know how deep and hostile the divisions among Christians are today and I've named a few of those things. We can go on. 
we're pretty multi-generational here at Trinity. And honestly, that, even that can be divisive. I'm not knocking it. It's just sometimes we, we have room for improvement. Youth may be thinking sometimes, man, all I do is serve when I'm at church. What about everyone else? How come they don't set up tables and things? As a youth leader before, I would hear these things. Some adults may be thinking, man, all the youth ever do is go on trips. They're going to like Disneyland. They're going to the Union Homelessness. They're going to Mexico. They're going to Houston. They're going to Portland. Where were my trips when I was in youth? They're not even here on Sundays a lot of the times. What gives? Where are the youth? Right? As the administrator at MP, I hear all these, these things and more. You wouldn't believe what I hear. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But I want to share my experience with you. It's the experience of a single man in a sea of families. And it's not just young families either. There's multi-generational families here. And I'm proud to be part of a church that's multi-generational. It's awesome. I get to see pictures of heaven in that. But it is hard sometimes to hear of, of birthday parties for kids. And I'm not invited. It's hard to hear sometimes that I'm expected to give more of my time to church because I'm single and I don't have a family. You should have more time. You don't have kids. It's hard to hear sometimes the comments that are made about our, our single youth leaders, um, which I was a part of not too long ago, about how they must be monitored from going from place to place because they are single and they're adults and they're male. Which is ridiculous to me because most of the stats about infidelity happen with married men not singles. I hear these things, I see these things, I experience these things, this is my story. And it's hard. I'm sure many of you have similar stories too about kind of being left out on the fringes. Maybe you're just a little weird, a little off. But the reason I stay here at Trinity is because of the times where I see Jesus in all of you, because of the way you serve one another, because of the way you pray for one another, because of the way that you love on one another. And I thank you for that. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have stayed. The secret of Christian unity is to realize that no matter who we are, we are equally loved by God. No matter who we are, no matter what our Christian denomination may be, there are certain things that are just true as Christians. Christ died on the cross for us, and he was raised again on the third day for our justification. We get to enter into the holy city of Jerusalem because of that. More about that next week. Come, come for Easter. As Christ's forgiven people, living out our Christian lives in various parts of the Lord's vineyard, we do a couple of different things. And I've named a few of those things already, but here it is in a slide. We get to serve one another. We listen to one another as well. I hear that in prayers all the time. It's amazing. And we get to pray for one another. Come out to our prayer meetings on Wednesdays and Saturdays.
This unity that Jesus wants to see more of is not our doing, it's God's doing. He's the one that initiated it in his very essence of Elohim as being a plurality of God, as being a Trinitarian God. And by his grace, we have to do our best to maintain it. For as Christians, unity is God's gift to the church. Theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, Christian unity is a reality created by God in Christ in which we may choose to participate. We get to be family. I might not have the same bloods running through my veins, but I have Christ. And if you do too, then we're family. I'm sorry, you don't have a choice. We just are. <laughs> Here are some ways on how to be a family. Number one, we meet with one another throughout the week. And how do we do that? We just invite one another to each other's houses. If you have a house, great. Live in the American dream. I would love an invitation. Number two, we pray for one another consistently throughout the week. Do we do that, or is it just every so often or when we see people? I have this app. It's called the Echo app, E-C-H-O. It's great for logging down prayers. If you're a millennial or if you're just tech-savvy, get that app. It's free. It tracks your prayers for you and reminds you to pray for specific people. And we can share those prayers, too. It's amazing. It's a little green circle, the app store. Number three, we get to serve one another. Kind of like what Rick shared two weeks ago, Jesus washing people's feet, the disciples' feet. We're going to do that throughout the week, not just on Sundays. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we may just sit here on Sundays and, be, and play Christian. We get to be family throughout the week, too. Now, we don't necessarily have to um, interact with our family members. There was a period of time in my life where I was really upset with my brother. And I have a younger brother. He's about nine years my junior. He's in college right now. Um, and we didn't talk for about two years. And at the end of that, when we finally reconciled after I became a Christian, it was because, well, actually, I couldn't tell you. We, we don't remember what we fought about. <laughs> we don't necessarily have to interact with our family. But when we do... This is what we bring into the world. We get to bring eternal life. When non-Christians see the way that Christians interact with one another, the way that youth help out in church, the way that adults help out with youth, vice versa, the way that we have volunteers right now ministering to your kids, the way that we have different missionaries across the world ministering on our behalf because of your tithing, we get to participate as a family. We get to share this amazing gift and the good news of Jesus because we all, not just me and you, but we all get to experience eternal life because Jesus rode on a donkey into Jerusalem. We have to look for people on the fringes of society and in community and interact with them. I know as introverts, it's going to be super weird. You're like, oh my goodness, why are people talking to me right now? I'm just here to listen to the message. <laughs> How 
How do you know that people are on the fringes? Because you're not even aware of them. They're on the fringes, right? Here's how to do it. An uncomfortable feeling pops up. Why? Because either they're weird, they kind of rub you the wrong way, they, don't have, they have different theological views, their view on gun control is different than mine, they believe in, in gay marriage or not. What's the deal? They're different. They're in a different life stage, they don't have kids, they don't understand me. Wrestle with that uncomfortable feeling, it pops up. Take note of that. And then we're going to grab a family member. If you're a Christian, you're part of the family, grab somebody, go with them. Go two by two, just as Jesus sent them out, right? Then we're going to interact with that person or group that makes us uncomfortable. And then we're going to introduce that person or group to God by treating them as family. Because Jesus did. He did that with us. As he rolled a young donkey into Jerusalem for our spiritual salvation. So we have different ways of doing that as well. We have different ways of, you can just invite people over to your home. And you may be thinking, oh my goodness, my home is such a mess right now, I can't invite people into my house. It's ridiculous, right? There's boxes everywhere. There's only a, a single pathway from, from room to room. There's dirt on the floor. There's maybe some poopy diapers somewhere. It smells really bad, right? These are some of the things that we might be thinking about. But as long as we keep thinking in our heads, and if we're worrying about what other people may think about our house, we are still thinking them of as others, not part of family. I don't know about everyone else, but it is okay to invite me personally into your mess. I'm not going to judge you. I actually might actually help you kind of clean up a little bit because it, it makes me nervous. <laughs> But we can do that together. We can clean up the mess of our lives together because Jesus rode on a donkey into Jerusalem to be speared on the cross. It is okay to be uncomfortable. It matters what we want to do with it. So my challenge to you is to go be uncomfortable so that we all might enter into this family and claim eternal life that Jesus has already promised us. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for what you've done on the cross, what you've done in Jerusalem. We thank you so much that you are you, God, that in your name itself, Elohim, that we get a picture of community and what that may look like in our lives. We thank you so much for family. We thank you so much for birthday parties. We thank you so much for youth and children and singles, and married couples, and married couples with young kids, married couples with older kids, those that are in retirement, those who have grandkids, those who don't have grandkids but want grandkids. We thank you so much for those who also have an empty nest, or who might be struggling with some physical issues or ailments, God. We just thank you so much that we get to be part of this family. We don't get to choose who's in our family, God. You do. And as such, and as Christians, we respect who you adopt into the family. God, we thank you so much for that. Allow us to be uncomfortable, God. I don't pray that we seek to be comfortable, but I do pray that we are okay with our uncomfortability and these feelings of just kind of anxiety as well that pops up. God, you are good and you are amazing. Thank you, God, for 
being a communal God. And thank you, God, for giving us a picture of what that community can look like. We thank you for inviting us to your home. We wish to do the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.